You're listening to the Bible Guys podcast from Piedmont International University. I'm your host, Devin Ferguson, along with professors Jerry Hullinger and Rick Kleinard. The Bible Guys is a podcast focused on knowing God better through what he has written. You can find out more by following us on Twitter at BibleGuysPod and on Instagram. You can also contact us via email at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, well, we've got a special guest today. Yeah, really we? really excited about today's conversation. Yeah. We've been talking about this for a couple... And uh, we should say why we have a special guest, because we're kind of tired of Devin. Absolutely. That's true. Yeah, I'm, so I'm getting will, off the mic here. Yeah, this will get gonna, him out of the way for a while. Yeah, we're going to put him on the on the shelf for a bit. Uh, but really excited because uh, our... Our special guest with us today is one of our uh, English profs here at Piedmont, uh, Michelle Snyder. Michelle's been a friend for, I mean, I don't, I think maybe 12, 13 years now. We've worked together in in, in working in, in education, um, and we're now here at Piedmont and excited about that. Now, what, I, what Michelle's going to offer today, we're going to have a conversation because uh, a little bit of a backstory. As I came, when I came to Piedmont, um, I was a English major. That was my first degree. Of, of so many that I've accrued. Thank you for financially supporting Piedmont. Um, and uh, in that degree, I was put in there with a lot of Bible seminary type students. And one of the questions I heard all of them all the time was, why do I have to take this class if I'm going to be a pastor or if I want to teach God's Word? Why do I need to take English? And so what we thought about was, um, and talking with Ms. Snyder, Michelle Snyder, um, we've talked about why does a student of the Bible, Bible prof or a pastor, why should they study literature? And and not specifically um, Hebrew, Greek, and all those things, but modern and classic literature. And so we thought we'd just have a come in today, just have a round table, just kind of a discussion and talk about why it's important for the pastor to to study literature. All right. So I'm going to ask the first question, Michelle. So you get the first one, then we'll just start jumping out at it. Uh, first of all, Michelle, if you want to intro yourself a little bit, you can. Hi, everybody. I am Michelle Snyder. I have been teaching here at Piedmont for the last two years. Um, taught high school English for 12 years before that. That's how Rick and I got to know each other. Um, and I did my undergraduate degree here at Piedmont, studying secondary English education. Have a um, master's in English from University of North Carolina in Greensboro, and a master's in religious education from Liberty University. So, Ooh, I didn't know you had both sides. Yes, sir. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. So we're trying to get her in the Bible department. Good we, deal. Yes, we've been that's talking my about goal here. Nice. Yeah, we're nice. trying to get her into it. And so, um, so my question is this: first question is, all right. So I'm, I'm I want to be a pastor. I'm taking these cl- classes. So let's talk for the student. Why is it important that I take English comp? Let's start with that one, like a writing class or something like that. Writing is um, not only a skill that you need universally to communicate well, um, but by learning how to write better, you're actually able to better structure your arguments, better appeal to your audience, um, learn how to use techniques that make people actually want to listen to what you have to say. Um, And preaching a sermon and writing a paper are not actually all that fundamentally different. So if you can do one well, you can probably do the other one pretty well. That's that's really true. I pastored, um, well, I've been preaching since I was 16. And um, speaking of English, I plagiarized completely my first sermon. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, it was word for word plagiarized. But who was it did you plagiarize? I plagiarized my pastor in the church where I grew up. Bruce Dunn. Okay. Uh, was he there, or did it was just a different church? He was not. This was a different church. 
but phenomenal man, phenomenal pastor. I would go to sleep at night listening to his sermons, and I did that every night so that I had them all memorized. So when it came down to preach, I just you know shot one off that I had memorized, uh, but I didn't know any better. But but what I was thinking as I as I progressed and um, began pastoring, I would write out my sermons verbatim, which a lot of homiletics teachers say not to do. But I found it really helpful because, well, can I give you my first reason? If anybody would ever say you said such and such in a sermon. I say, no, I never said any such thing. Here's the manuscript. Kind of a stupid motive. But I found just exactly what you said. Writing it out, it helped my logic. It helped my flow of thought. I could then go back through it. And by writing it out, I became so conversant with the material, I didn't even need the manuscript in the pulpit. Yeah. because it was a part of me, and that was a huge help. I think that's a great point. Yeah, and I'm with you in, in the same way. I wrote, I write my manuscripts out, and I found that every sermon is a, is a research paper. Yes. Essentially, yes, because you should be going to God's Word. You yeah. should be finding the place in Scripture. You're probably going to go to commentaries and see what other people have to say about it as well, and that's a research paper. That's what you're doing when you're putting together your sermon. Yeah. Another good thing about that is... One of the things that irritates me about sermons is they tend to be disjointed. And sometimes a pastor will, unless you're somebody really, really good, you probably have no business going over 30 minutes. And a manuscript helps tie you down. So Rick may have the tendency to go an hour and a half because he's talking about all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. it's two, like, two turns Rick, the hour stay glass. with the point. That's right, two, two um, turns. And I would think even in English classes, you'd find the same thing helps to harness students a little bit. Yeah, so I give my students a page range for our papers. And when they first start writing, I take off points if they are under, but I don't take off points if they're over. As we progress, I start taking off points if they go over as well, because part of being a good writer is learning the space and to communicate within the space you're given. Um, And the same applies when you're doing any type of speaking, but especially at a church. So since you have expertise in... um Bible and theology, and in English and writing. What's your opinion of something like Harry Potter? And I'm not so much concerned about Harry Potter, but just in general, that kind of genre for Christians. So really, we're setting you up to get in trouble here. Yes. Okay, well, we'll start with getting myself really in trouble. I love Harry Potter. I've read all the books, watched all the movies, been to the amusement park with Rick, actually. Yeah, we We, take seniors to go. (laughs) I did not know there was an amusement park for this. Oh, field trip. All right, we're cutting this podcast short. All right, we're going to use... Hey, what's in the budget for traveling? All right, we'll work on it. About $50. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we'll get that going. Um, I... So I love I love Harry Potter. I'm not saying I love all fantasy, because not all fantasy is well-written, but Harry Potter is well-written fantasy. But it is fantasy, and I think that the important thing with that type of literature is, first of all, if it's for kids, as a parent, you need to be active and involved in what your kids are reading. You need to know your child. You need to know what they can comprehend, what um, they're able to distinguish about reality and what's not reality. Um, And I also think that it's the parent's job to make sure they've established the difference between fiction and God's Word. And if you're laying that foundation then a child should be able to read Harry Potter without being confused, without being 
swept away by ideas mm-hmm. that are not true idea because it's fiction. She never says that it's nonfiction. Right. <laughs> it's fiction. Um, and well-written fiction is that. So I think if you have the right groundwork, you as a parent with a child can read it together and talk about the issues together and enjoy literature together, which is the ideal. Man, that brings up a lot of thoughts for me. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, one is, so it sounds to me like you're saying that would be of any genre, there's good and bad. Absolutely. And so you think Harry Potter would be legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you raise a good parenting point too. And Rick could speak to this better than I because he's a better parent. Mm. But, you know, I think you put your finger on something that parents, I'm all for not exposing kids to sin. You know, I'm not right. advocating that. Right. But at the same time, they need to learn to think. And I think it's much better instead of not exposing them to certain things, like you said, together talking about it, then they can get out of the world and actually think. Yeah. And they're not duped by all the nonsense in the Christian world and in the secular world. And I just think that's a great point. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And, and it is, that's that we were speaking about it earlier about discernment, which I think is... I think something t- sometimes uh, I think we we Christians we know that we should be discerning in various things, but we're just not. We're so scared of what's going to happen. We're so afraid of being accidentally exposed to something that's going to just kill us that we forget to use discernment. That you know we can enjoy these things, and as you said, let's talk about it. Yes. Um, let's let's address these concepts. Let's let's discuss. Okay, buddy, you could let's read this, but let's let's make sure we know there's there's imagination. And there's there's reality, and um, we have to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. And I think that goes back to the initial question here of why people who are not English majors should study and understand literature. If you understand the working of literature and you've studied different viewpoints that go along with it, um, I'm going to be teaching a literary criticism class. I'm super excited about that. That's all we're going to talk about is and, how do we evaluate literature. Oh, and that's what the, I was going to ask you what that course did, so about how to evaluate literature. And, it, and it's going to be great. And if you know how to do that, then you can teach your children how to do it. You can teach your congregation how to do it. And then you're not afraid of things because you have that that discernment. Yeah, I think a lot of times students, pastors, and this is now for the this is the next topic is for the pastors listening because we want to be kind of a resource for them. So for pastors who are listening, uh, a lot of times literature, modern and classical, will be used more for a I need a I need a comment, I need a quote that wraps up my sermon. You know, which I'd ra- I, I get it, but I'd rather it be something. Hey, I, I've I've seen. Reading this, now I've got my finger on the pulse of the worldview that's behind it. So when I talk about modern literature, now I have to confess that that's where I fail and that's where I err, mainly because everything I'm reading for PhD work is is geared towards theology. It's not outside that realm. However, I think it's important that we read stuff that's out there so we can understand worldview. So, so for the pastors that are listening, what kind of things maybe... I don't know if I'm, I'm not saying here, what kind of title should they be reading, but but maybe when they read something, first of all, we think they should, but when they read something, what are some things they need to look out for and, and maybe how they can kind of incorporate this stuff into their own growth? 
Well, I agree with you that just pulling a random quote out, it's kind of the same thing as pulling a random Bible verse mm. that has a keyword that kind of sort of fits right. <laughs> your keyword. Right. If you're taking it out of context, um, it's not going to really validate your point very well. So yeah. if you are going to pull out a quote, you should probably know what the book theme is and, right. and different things like that. Um, as far as what to read, I'm kind of in the same boat with, as you, but I'm a little disconnected because I've been reading for my classes. Mm-hmm. And um, But I do think really popular, uh, we go back to Harry Potter, that was like a hit that's really popular. It's out there. The culture is saturated with it. I think of some of the other really popular series like The Hunger Games and different things that just kind of sweep the nation and start defining the way people think. If there's a book out there that's defining the way your congregation is thinking, you should know what that book says and know how it lines up with God's word so you can address it. And that can be an inroad through evangelism, right? Absolutely. Do you think there's something, and and, and maybe we, we, we don't have the answer to this one, but you just mentioned a good point. If there's a book that is that's really sweeping the generation and defining the generation, do you, I don't know. Literature does this sometimes. So, like for example, I mean, about ten years ago, everybody was it was a vampire teenage romance genre, uh, and and we Christians we had it too. We just changed the vampire to an Amish person, and we just <laughs> did it. Yeah, that was a shot, and we just did, and we just kind of did that. Um, but is do you think is there anything? On the horizon, or is there anything recently that you can say, hey, this might be something that pastors need to look into? And if not, it's fine. I just kind of want to maybe throw it out there to our pastors listening to think about it. Fantasy fiction is um, really popular still, and young adult literature in general. Right. It's not just teenagers reading it. It's right. 40, 40 year olds that are reading the young adult section yeah. books now. And disgruntled so. housewives. And disgruntled yeah. housewives. So, okay. Wait, so, so if I go home today and my wife's got. <laughs> This book, I need to... Hey, you may need to reevaluate. Yeah. Set up yeah. marriage counseling today. Okay, got it. Well, here's a question I had. Um, you've mentioned some current literature. I'm a fan of, I guess, what we, as a novice, I'd call classical literature. What kind of um, titles or authors would be good um, for pastors to read more from that? The, the classics. Yeah. Um, if you go back to uh, Victorian time period where a lot of your classic novels are I love being that written, period. Yes. Um, you've got your Brontes, um, all the Jane Austen novels, Dickens, um, and even going back a little bit further than that where you have like uh, Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein and, and works along those lines. Embedded in all of those is such a deep understanding of the culture and the worldview and the shift in beliefs, especially as... Um, evolutionary theory rises and takes people away from the church, that those are a really good picture of what happens when our religious foundation gets shaken. And that would be a really good place to start to build an understanding of culture and worldview. I love that. And uh, when I hear a pastor refer to those kinds of works, I immediately have more respect for what he's going to say because I feel like he's a thinker, he's aware of good things, Good things instead of, um, and here's a word I'm not sure how to pronounce, B-A-N-A-L. I always pronounce, I think it's banal, is that? 
I've already, said, I've always said banal. I've, I've always said banal too. Okay, good. But Maybe I'm we can willing, stick Devin on that. Devin, say that I don't. <laughs> All right, we got two for banal. We'll put that in the show notes. Devin, would you research uh, that for us? Is there um, a comment section below? Can people it will. We just, well, we just, we'll just vote on it. And let the let the popular opinion decide. But the church, as you know, has become so trivial. And um, when I hear, when I hear, well, we just heard. The yeah, he just, well, he just let Siri do it. It's banal. No, it's See, that's okay. what we thought oh, here. There we go. We're so, right. banal. Uh, so, um, I just get tired of pastors and churches being so trivi- trivial. And when they're dealing with more substantive literature, I'd like that. A I lot. agree. So, you just said a couple things there, and I got I to gotta speak that a little bit. You, you just said uh, you love the Victorian stuff. So, so let me go, go here, um, Doc. Are you, are you a Downton Abbey fan? Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> Is it? Are you? I am not. Uh, I'm thinking more of the. Horrible hygiene practices oh, during the <laughs> Victorian era and those kind of right. those kind of guy things. Yeah, would, like, I get Whoa, it. I can't I, believe that. I just had this mental image of you and your wife sitting down with some tea at PBS and watching uh, Downton Abbey. Hardly. Uh, all right. All right. Hardly. No. Okay. We actually have two different TVs. I, we both. I don't think we've ever watched anything together. Speaking of bad marriages. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding. Well, in this, is it in the same room? Is it like <laughs> one TV and you're just in sound? That's Great awesome. marriage. Occasionally That's watch awesome. things. Together. I just I just watch the Downton Abbey when my wife watches it. It's been, I'm, I'm making fun of it going, this is kind of dumb. And then I'm like, is she going to die? And she's holding me during it. Um, so, so wait, I'm the one that hasn't seen the show. You've never table. seen? I've never seen the show. I would have thought, I would have, I, I would have thought Devin would have watched it. But I, I definitely would have thought you've no, seen Downton Abbey. Should I add it to my watch list? Yeah. And wait, I'm wait, a, wait, do you, wait. No, I'm adding it to my watch list, and I'm adding Harry Potter. I, I have right. to admit Absolutely. I've never watched that, so I'll start that. That sounds great. We mentioned earlier with the um, why should a, a student take these classes, and now we're talking about why pastors should do read more outside their, their um, maybe I'm going to say the phrase safe place in that sense, like, hey, because I'm tempted to just, let me just read theology because I get it. That sounds kind of weird, but you, that's where I'm comfortable with. Um, but I, I do want to speak to this, too. We mentioned research paper, like sermons as research papers. Okay, so, and, and then you touched on it about plagiarism. Um, and you meant as a joke, but mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen but there's a lot of examples of, I'm going to call it pastoral plagiarism. True. Where we're borrowing from other pastors, maybe the famous podcast pastors, that kind of handling of God's word, where you're really not handling God's word, you're you're just taking somebody's handling of God's word. What are some of the um, the dangers of that in our churches, in our own personal growth, in our own personal Bible studies? For, for paper writing, like if I'm a student, I'm writing a paper, the danger of plagiarism is I didn't encounter the text. I didn't, I didn't learn anything. Um, so that's different than the classroom, but how does that apply now in the church, where if I'm a pastor and I'm just giving you the Matt Chandler hits or, Hey, I just, I read this Spurgeon sermon and I'm going to make it all fit. I'm going to make it me. What am I doing to my congregation? Am I helping them? Am I, am I really hurting them? Is it that big of a deal? I think the obvious answer is a, they're not wrestling with the text Mm. and it's not becoming a part of them, which means their preaching is going to lack the passion and the conviction, I think. And then Whenever anybody preaches a sermon, they're in a context. Mm-hmm. And you can't take that context and impose it where you are. Just some quick 
thoughts? Yeah, I think so too. And I think you end up sending the message to your congregation that you don't need to put the time into scripture yourself. You just need to find somebody else who did. And so if the pastor is not putting time into scripture, why is their congregation going to feel it's important to study individually? And we all should be studying individually. That that raises an, probably even more important point, and that has to do with what a pastor should be doing in the first place. And if he's tend to be using other material, he might have a philosophy of ministry that relegates Scripture to a small percentage, when in my view, that should be the main thing he's doing, not just, okay, I got that one done, now I can do all the professional aspects. Yeah, that's a good point, too. And, I, and I've said before, and I heard from someone else, I think it was Martin, De- Martin Dever with Nine Marks. Hey, you quoted him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's his, his in the show, you here. Show, show notes. And uh, his statement was um, that the most pastoral thing we do is preach the word. Absolutely. And so what I appreciate about, and that's something that we appreciate here at, at Salem, our senior pastor, Pastor uh, Kiva Hicks, he will you know lock himself in his office mm-hmm. and and study the text. And um, and so, because he says, hey, my, my most pastoral thing I do. So the other guys, the rest of us, we'll go out, some of us, if we have to and need to, we'll do some of the visiting, we'll do more pastoral things like that, where he can focus on feeding the church that Sunday. But like you said, we've been feeding all week. And we, we have that desire because we see it from him, the need to do this, the importance of it, so we do it on our own. That's a good point. Yeah, if you think of pastoring a church in the same way as like a teacher in a classroom, my job is not only to convince my students that what I have to say is worth their time and energy, it's also to model how it plays out in real life. Um, so you can't teach paper writing without giving examples of what papers look like and without reading examples. And it's kind of the same thing where if I'm not modeling how to pull context from a passage, I think one of my biggest pet pet peeves is when somebody speaks on one verse and it's one verse and a bunch of stories, Mm -hmm. but you haven't really told me that you understand how that verse is functioning in the context of its chapter or, or its book. So how do I know how to do that on my own? Yeah, that's true. All right. Real quick question before we go. All right. What are you reading? I'm reading, again, I've got a lot of seminary stuff, a lot of stuff I'm having to read for papers. Um, but one book I, I like to read often, it's, um, it's a collection of Tozer's articles, A.W. Tozer's, and it's called That Incredible Christian. Mm-hmm. And there's like these, have you read it? Mm-hmm. And I, I've read through that several times, and every time I read through it again, I'm like, man, I really like this. Now, I've read his biography and, and saw mistakes he's made in his own family, and I'm like, man, it kind of taints it a little bit. But I just love reading through that one. The book I read just recently, though, that I really engage, was engaged with is a book by Janine Brown called Scripture as Communication. And in it, she talks about how, as we interpret Scripture, we need to keep the speech act theory of locution, illocution, perlocution involved. Like, there are words, the, there are, there's a message, there's an author, and there's, a, there's an, an activity that the, intended, the author intends for his audience to do with it. And so she incorporates that into Scripture as being communicated. A communication meaning is determinant. She said that you know the, the text means what it means, but you know how I'm supposed to be hospitable may be different than how Paul meant for the Romans to be hospitable. So I thought that was a really good book. Well, I'm not reading a book per se. Um, I'm reading what the in the rabbinic literature on um, what the rabbis taught on outer darkness, um, which I'm coming to change my view on. Okay. Uh, I disagree with the rabbis, and uh, I'd 
like to talk about that in the future. That'd be a good talk. Yeah, that's good. I had other questions for Michelle. Oh, we're not she, done yet. We're not she done. She have to go. No, no, we're good. We can keep going. We keep going. But I just wanted to kind of throw that question in there. That's a good because question. we're talking about what we we should be reading. So I'm reading two things right now for fun. Besides, you know, reading. For you class. get a chance to read for fun. Well, let me tell you what I'm reading first. You can decide if it's really for fun or not. All right. Um, one of them's the a book called Understanding the Times, which when I taught high school um, was used in the worldview class as a textbook, and I've just been really interested in reading it. Who so wrote I, that? Uh, I think it's Noble. David Noble. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. um, so I've been reading that uh, to really to help me get ready for this literary criticism class and being able to deal with worldview really well in that. That's good. Um, and then I'm also reading A Wrinkle in Time because I've never read it and the movie was kind of cool. So I figured probably read the book. It's a lot different than the movie, yeah. but it's good. Yeah, I hate it when that happens when a, when a movie it's and a book so are different. different. They've changed a lot of the characters. Yeah. It's kind of C- crazy. Kind of ruined. That's why I try not to watch the read the book before I watch the movie because I want to, because the, usually the movie was more expensive. <laughs> I want to enjoy I'm not the, sure where that was going. But I want to enjoy yeah. the time. Okay, so you had another question. So I did. I, I had a couple. One of these you, you alluded to. And this, I hope this isn't backing you into a corner because uh, you wrecked my train of thought. Well, oh, okay, here it is. Do you think we should interpret the Bible the same way we would interpret any other literature? No. There are some principles of hermeneutics that kind of translate to both, but the presupposition with the Bible is that it's the divine inspired word of God, which means man's error is removed from our interpretation. And we cannot say that about anything else that has been written besides the word of God. So there are rules in our hermeneutics that are different when we're dealing with a perfect text than when we're dealing with imperfect text. And I think the biggest one is um, all literature and any book on literary theory or literary criticism will say this, literature can have more than one interpretation. And mm-hmm. I do not believe the same statement is true of the scripture. What if that's the intent of the author, though, to have more than one interpretation? Wouldn't we still be then interpreting according to his rules? Do you, what do you mean? Interp- I'm going to help out with, I'm trying to figure out, you mean like the author of scripture? You're saying that that may no. Let's if if there's a, a secular piece of literature, and he is writing with the intent that his readers can take this multiple ways. Wouldn't we still be though interpreting according to his intent? Uh, no, most um, there are some schools of literary criticism that go by what the author intended is the correct interpretation. And that's how they um, view literature. But most of our schools of criticism view um, literature as a conversation between the author, the text, and the reader. And since every reader is bringing a different background, that means every person is going to interpret it slightly differently. And that's okay with secular literature. That's not okay with scripture. So there has to be a different mindset. So kind of like when we talk about interpreting the Bible, we will decry a reader response hermeneutic, which you're saying is practiced on literature at large. Oh, yes. Um, now, not not everybody would ascribe to reader response theory, which is its own school of criticism, but mm-hmm. most people that are studying literature will agree that the perspective we have now is different than the perspective when it was written at the very least, and that that's okay. 
um, because we view literature as living documents that are right. constantly cha- changing with the times. Makes sense. Very interesting. And that's a good point, and, and I think that's really neat how that conversation happened because I, I'll be honest, when I was doing a lot of work on developing, you know, what is it, what is my hermeneutic method, uh, I would honestly sometimes appeal to, to outside literature, you know, because I taught English for a number of years, and you've not talked about this. You know, if you read Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, it's not, I mean, maybe we disagree on this. I think we might, but it's not a love story. When you, thank you. When we, <laughs> when we read it the way he intended it, and we, we see, especially in Friar Lawrence, even though he made bad decisions, he still seems like the voice of reason most of those times. But in the deconstructionism, you can apply it. Right. And so, I mean, that bothers, see, I come at it from being the hermeneutics first, then the English or literary critic, and I have to keep in mind that they, what, what like you said, a perfect text, maybe the, the same rules don't apply to an imperfect text. That's a good point. And I think that part of what benefits a Bible college student or a pastor from studying literature and understanding how to interpret it is that the average non-believer is not going to see a difference between the Bible and any other piece of literature. Hmm. And so when we understand how to look at a secular text, we are going to see what the non-believer sees when they look at the Bible. And it's going to allow us to have a better conversation with them about why the Bible is different. How would we, how would we help? So let's say a student comes to Piedmont, he takes a literature class with you, and you're teaching him how to interpret literature, and then he takes a Bible class with me. How do I show him that these are two different things we're dealing with? Some of the terminology is probably going to be the same. I think Rick and I talked about um, like the importance of genre. You're going to talk about a genre when you're studying literature. You're going to talk about genre when you're interpreting the Bible. And so some of that terminology is going to be the same. What's going to be different is that we shouldn't, I, I guess I can't say we won't, but we shouldn't have more than one interpretation mm-hmm. of Scripture. I agree. We might have more than one way to apply it, but all of our interpretation should be the same. Whereas with literature, um, I tell my students, tell me your opinion. Your opinion can be different from mine because that's what an opinion is. You just need to be able to point to a place in a te- in the text that validates your opinion. Um, and so you're, you're doing the same thing with scripture. You're pointing to a place in the text, but it's not your opinion you're validating. It's the correct interpretation that you're validating. I need to press this a little because I... <laughs> I'm, I'm learning from this, so I, I want to figure this out. So let's say Dickens writes A Tale of Two Cities. He had, did he not have something he was trying to demonstrate? Yes. Okay. So let's say we come to the present day, and in literary circles they have that mindset you've been talking about. Is that violating Dickens' original intent? Did he have in mind how people would be viewing him years later? In in my opinion, <laughs> yes. I always consider what the author intended when they wrote the literature. I like to look at the historical background. I actually learned more about history in my literature courses at Piedmont than I had in, in history classes in high school because it is so important. 
but I would be in a school of literary critics that are considered more classicist mm -hmm. <laughs> and the more modern day literary critics would say, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter all that much because society has changed. The context has changed. And so the interpretation can change mm -hmm. as well. Um, so that's where you start to get those different schools forming and people that are a little bit more classicists like me that think the author had a meaning and we need to look at the meaning I see. Um, are going to kind of group together. And then some of your uh, more modern or postmodern uh, deconstructionists and reader response theorists, they're going to group together and say, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and both in the secular world are right because there's not yes. an absolute yes. standard. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And you, and you said something, you brought up a good point there just a second ago. Well, you said that you've learned more about history in your literature classes when you're in your undergrad. And I think that's a, a great thing to be in, remind, mindful of, especially as in the, back to our conversation of why does a pastor need to take literature? So, for example, for me, it was I learned more theology in my church history class hmm. and my counseling class. I mean, I was in my systematic theologies, you know, getting the PhD in systematic theology right now. But the theology, you know, I guess you say the, where, it, where it began to develop was the, the history classes um, when I saw theologians who wrestled with the very same things I'm wrestling with. And then in counseling where, man, I really understood the depravity of man in counseling. Mm -hmm. And so those kind of things are, are, are key. And so I think what's, what's kind of said here is one of the big things that we can encourage people to take these classes and to do more studies. And if you're a pastor already and you're like, well, I'm not really there, man, you should get there and start reading right now, is that it's not just compartmentalized education, if you want to use that term. It's more of just holistic. You're, you're growing. You're more well-rounded. It's, mm -hmm. it's symmetry. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a very important point that sometimes we miss. It's kind of like a lot of times if all we're doing is doing theology, we're like the guy in the gym who's just focusing on his arms, and, and he looks like an upside-down bowling pin. You can just push him over because he's, he's asymmetrical. He's just not going to stand up. Maybe, maybe we could say reading good literature, that's leg day. Don't, you don't want to skip it. Yeah. And there are two things that you said that I think are really important. One, reading good literature. So yeah. we're not advocating just, you know, picking up the latest romance novel and, right. <laughs> you know, letting that fill your worldview instead. That's, right. not, that's right. not at all what we're, what we're saying. And to the idea of being well balanced. And I, I don't know that we always have a good conviction that being well balanced is something we should pursue, but it, it is, we should be well-balanced individuals. Kind of the same thing from another angle. I have come across pastors who are afraid to read secular literature. They almost feel guilty that, like you were saying, not just that they're focusing on one thing just kind of by default, but they're focusing on one thing on purpose because they feel guilty about dealing with any book outside of theology or a commentary or something. Well, I... I don't know. I think reading literature is fun. So, I mean, I, I get that I'm maybe not in the no, majority no, there. I, but, I agree. I but, totally you know, agree. Um, I don't, and I don't think there's anything wrong or condemning about enjoying life and having fun and reading something for pleasure every once in a while. Um, but I also think if you're approaching it with the idea of, I'm going to understand the world that I'm in better hmm. by reading a book written about the world that I'm in. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go with it in that approach, 
you still have a goal aimed at ministry and doing ministry better. Um, it's just a different way to go about it. It's getting out of your comfort bubble, really, and embracing yeah. the world around us. Yeah, and that's hard because I. All right, so we, we made fun of Downton Abbey earlier. I love poetry. I'm a big, but I like the old stuff. So I'm not a big fan. If I'm going to pick, I'm not going to pick up a modern poetry book. It's just not, it's not my wheelhouse. I'm like, ah, I just, I'd rather pick up Frost. I love Robert Frost, or I love T.S. Eliot. I'd rather pick him up. He was a guy that in my um, undergrad in, in English that I just really gravitated towards. And, uh, and so I, I love that. So it's, you're right. It's, I got to get out of my comfort zone. I want to know my culture I need to know what they're saying. I need to know what their uh, what their hope their hopes and dreams are found on on those pages, and I need to look at it. And a lot of Christians, I think, still have remnants of this idea that they still don't grasp that that God created the world. He's given us everything to enjoy, and that includes things outside yeah. theology and That's the church. True. And uh, so that we can enjoy those, and those those things are gifts of God, just as much. As everything else in God's grace comes through um, literature and other forms of the arts. Yeah, I would agree. Well, I think we've uh, gone, you've kind of gone through this. It's been, been enjoyable. Hopefully, it has uh, been. It's been hopefully, great. you guys have listened and listening in have enjoyed this a little bit longer than we normally do, but we're glad that uh, you got to listen in. Uh, Ms. Snyder, thank you for being with us. Happy we're glad to have We should probably have you back for one. We should have her back for one of our, we're going to take apart a misunderstood passage and see what the English prof has to oh, say on the yeah, topic. That would be fun. She right. would have the same critiques we would. Let's let's do it. Let's see. Let's have I you back and let's test that theory. This has been the Bible Guys podcast from Piedmont International University. Located in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, PIU is a Christ-centered university committed to educating aspiring leaders worldwide through exceptional teaching, scholarly research, creative innovation, and professional collaboration. You can find out more at piedmontu.edu.